Good evening and welcome to another episode of Bar Study, where we discuss love, love, I'm your host, Shade Walker, a 3L at CUNY Law, and I'm accompanied by my lovely co-host, Shaniqua Parker, also known as Sha, also a 3L at CUNY School of Law. So, yes, girl. All right, let's get into um, another episode, you know, where we're just here. We are talking about the law school experience. So just kind of talking about, like, getting into law school, what it was like for us, Mm. uh, the fact that relationships are kind of non-existent in law school. (laughs) I mean, you don't have the same ones that you started with, that's for sure. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, like, what the next steps are for us, too, right? Because, like, we're graduating in May, so here comes the bar exam, right? So here comes the bar study in bar study podcast. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Now it's really about the bar study, (laughs) y'all. Yes, it's, well, let's let's start with um, where we came from. So for, like, me... Um, my journey, like to get into law school, I didn't have like a great score. I did not break 150. And like, ideally, that's what you're aiming for, right? You Absolutely. Want to get 150, uh, 150 or higher on the LSAT, which stands for the law school admission test. So that's what you want to get. And I had, like I said, a little bit of trouble. So what I did was I um, participated in something called the pipeline program through CUNY Law School. Mm-hmm. So it was like, basically I applied and they did not accept me, but my score was, you know, still pretty close. I had a good GPA um, and they were like, we don't have a seat for you, but there's this program called Pipeline and you'll be coming to the law school. You'll be taking classes on um, how to improve your score and you're going to take the LSAT again. Are you interested? And I was like, all right. <laughs> I mean, you got access to a, like a pre-law program in a sense that like the undergrads, um, I know John Jay offers like a pre-law program that kind of gets you into the gist. It's mostly administrative law, to be honest with you. But to them, it's an introduction to law. Right. Because I did that too. I, I graduated from John Jay and it was like um, like a little boot camp and mm-hmm. over the summer. And that program was not as intense as the program at CUNY Law, the pipeline program. So I would think it wouldn't be because you're at an actual law school. They're prepping you to come into an actual right. law but school. But the crazy thing is it's the same instructor, same instructor. So that's oh, the wow. thing. But it's just you have um, it's a longer program because remember, she's doing this in the summer. So that's like condensed two months. Mm-hmm. Whereas this program was a full semester long. It was like basically like three months, almost like three months, almost four. Okay. And so it was extensive. And then once you got a good enough score, you continued on to the second part of the program. So it was like a full year. It was like two semesters. And they started prepping you on, like you said, giving you the law school experience on what to expect, like teaching you what an IRAC is, you know, the issue, stating the issue, stating the rule, doing the application of the law and then having a conclusion. So 
do you want to talk about just a little bit like about like the requirements like to get into law school like for those let me just add that I didn't have any pre-law prep period because you mad because you mad (laughs) so I actually had graduated with my MSW about two years before I thought about even thinking about law school. And it was just that I was at a place in my career. It was like, do I want to continue to do this? Because I have figured out early on that social work wasn't for me. However, your degree is what you make it. So I was able to remove myself. I was actually not not remove myself, but I was able to change my trajectory from providing direct service, case management, social work, therapy, all of that, to actually working on training people and providing training. So I was directing the trade of an organization, but my mentor, who's actually my supervisor, he had a, we had a conversation. He just mentioned like out of the blue, I can see you as a lawyer. And it was just funny that he mentioned that. Cause I was thinking about going back to school. I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to go back to school for. Okay. I was like, I, I could do this one last time. I could go back to school one last time, get a PhD or something. So I was actually looking at a PhD. And so he had mentioned, I could see you as a lawyer. And so I did a little research briefly I was like okay law school one of the things that came up was there's very few law schools that work for working individuals um right. we're lucky to live in New York City which actually has quite a few law schools in the New York City area that have an evening program are geared toward working individuals but I feel like CUNY yeah I feel like CUNY is probably the best um it's, it's the most flexible and so I looked into that and what actually geared me to a CUNY law was the fact that I was able to get two degrees at once. So I was able to get my MPA at John Jay while getting my JD at the law school. And so that was helpful to me. I'm like, at least if I'm going to go out with a bang and do this last go round, I might as well use this last little bit of youth and get two degrees at once. And so that kind of brought it over. And with that, I thought about it. I went the weird thing is I thought about it in January and I had to take the LSAT two and a half months, almost three months to study for the LSAT before I had to take it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that was scary. That was damn scary. Well, see, we had different journeys. So wait, the M, the MPA is what? A master's of public administration? Yeah. Okay. So I got that from John Jay. Right, you did the dual degree program. Yeah. Right. I figured it was worth it. And I graduated with the MPA first, so that was nice. But it was definitely law school that taught that I had to humble myself for, because I'm used to being an A student. And baby, those A's were hard to come by in law school. Okay, hard. Okay, yes, I'm not gonna front. I was okay with being a B student, because that's all mm-hmm. you need to get into law school anyway. I feel like if you have a 150 or higher, if you were a B student, you get your letters of recommendation put it together, if you're interested in law school, do the application. And, um, you know, that's what you really need. So Bs get degrees. Um, <laughs> I won't say Cs. My CEO is- Law school is, is not good enough. <laughs> so my CEO is actually uh, an attorney. Uh, she is certified in Colorado. She was first our director of compliance. Actually, she was our chief compliance officer. Mm-hmm. That's what I aspire to be in the next two years or so. But she was like, you know, 
now that I think back on it, she was like, B's and C's get degrees. Mm-hmm. They do. Because in reality, the law school teaches you the law, but you really actually learn how to practice law and practice in actual law. So, but I will say, if you get a C, you should have an A somewhere to balance that out. Well, yes, <laughs> but just know. I mean, because here's the thing. Not all of us test well. Some of these professors and the way they test, the way they write their tests, the way they grade their test, mm-hmm. like it's, it's, it varies by, from professor to professor. So what I can say is definitely pay attention to your professor and their syllabus. Yeah, and follow your professor for that class. Yeah, give them what they want. And a lot of times they're going to give you examples. So that leads me right into the next, you know, uh, segment talking about like the CUNY experience, right? Because like, you know, CUNY Law School. So they say it's called CUNY. It's cheesy, but it's cute. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like our law school, like we do not rank the law students. So it kind of removes a little bit of that competitive edge. Um, Cause if you're like ranked number one, you know, the person who's number two and three are, are gunning for you. Yeah. So, you know, at CUNY, we had that no ranking policy. So that allowed for, you know, sharing of outlines, like, you know, people really um, supporting one another. And um, <laughs> definitely had some interesting classes. Don't get it twisted. There was the competition among the students, but it wasn't to the extent of I'm going to get an A over you. It was more so of, yeah, I'm right because of this. Or I don't see how that makes sense. It was it was more so of the discourse between the students, but it wasn't the competition of, oh, so you got an A in that class. I'm going to make sure you don't get an A next time. I mean, you're definitely surrounded by a bunch of A personalities, type A personalities. So that means, you know, you have people who are going to want to raise their hand and show that they read the material and I got this right. So it's definitely going to be that naturally. Yep. Um, and then also people are clicky and whatever. So there's, there's that element too, but it's not that added pressure. I mean, what's going to naturally happen is going to naturally happen. Yep. Right? But... It's more about um, bringing out something in the, in the students where it's like, oh, I'm going to rip pages out the book. Because I've heard stories like that. Of oh, wow. Somebody texting you, telling you class is canceled when it's not. So I've heard things like that. And that's how it can get at other, you know, schools where you have ranking. But, you know. I can say I've never experienced that. And now I could just say I'm a CUNY girl. Like I got three of my degrees. Well, two and the expected one from CUNY. So I went to social work school. It was really, I went to Hunter, got my social work school, my degree from there. It was very, we were a community. Like we knew we had each other's backs. It was also similar. I went to the evening program. So again, it was a group of us that we all had a similar experience. So we knew we were only as strong as each other. And so a lot of us got ourselves through there. The same ones that I started that program with were the same ones that I graduated that program with. Right. We had a lot of the same classes together and we supported each other. I can't necessarily say that for John Jay because I was only in there for a year and that was only like three classes. Right. I can't really say I invested too much time, but I did help in my group projects, although they may have been the bane of my existence. <laughs> I made an effort. But definitely here at CUNY, it's definitely a fact that it's a community. It's where we know that we can't step on each other to get up because at the end of the day, we kind of need each other. 
You right. miss a day of class, you got three or four people you could contact for notes. Right. Trust me, you're going to need those three or four different notes because everybody take a little bit different from the lecture. Right. Not everybody makes sense. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, so I wanted to talk about like the classes and just like the experience overall in law school. So like definitely there's going to be classes for us. Um, it was like a constitutional law class. It was called Liberty, Equality, and Due Process. And that class, um, you know, focused on those amendments. And, um, you know, you saw a lot of examples of like institutional racism in that class. And yep. there wasn't a space for you to talk about it. Like that's the one of the hardest things like adjusting to law school is there's no room to talk about your feelings. This is not undergrad. This is not a sociology class. You're here to literally learn the law. And that's it. And because, I mean, it's just not a place to be creative. So that's it's hard. also not a place to kind of work through your trauma because the reality is that we're talking about something that's on the books that other people before us have gone through and other people after us will also have to. It's there. It's the precedent. It's literally the history of law in this country. Mm-hmm. So it has to be addressed. And it's like when you read cases like Dred Scott, and this is a man who's being told, you don't have a right to bring this case before our court because you're not a citizen of this country you're a slave you're not a human being you're three-fifths of a man and as a black person I definitely remember reading that case and writing like on the side like on my notes well you know can a black man sue like no he can't and so I just you know felt some type of way and I was just like she better not call on me today she better not call on me that was that was hard it was when you asked what was harder was that the one that we read i'm trying to remember i can't remember which class it was but it was the one that we read that the guy wanted to join the um the lodge and he couldn't because they typically in the rules of the lodge said no black people and right. this was someone that they kind of knew and in his essence respect that he was a doctor or something of that at that time but and it was just like the rule in there and this had to go up to the supreme court for y'all to figure this out and there was a lot of like racial uh, covenants like that, where it's like you couldn't sell your home to a person of color, to a black person. So they had these, uh, you know, you had to sit through um, Brown versus Board of Education. We had to sit through Plessy versus Ferguson. So all so we did loving. Right. Briefly. We, yeah, we did. We did loving. So you have all these cases and there's no uh, outlet for what you're reading and how you're feeling, you know? It's um, not to say it's, not to say it's the professor's responsibility because it's not, but it should be noted that we actually did get a little bit of an opportunity to speak on it. You know, BOSA, they made an effort to say something via email. To try to we had a couple of professors give us the space to discuss it. But that's CUNY. That's not to say anybody else who's going to another law school who may have to sit there and listen to this case because it's a very common case. It's a doctrine case. 
Right. You, may not, you may not have the space to discuss this in an area you'll feel comfortable. So definitely create those clicks, create that right. tribe so that you can have that conversation. You could debrief after a right. very taxing class. Exactly. Having those connections are key. So I was definitely on the e-board. I was definitely a member. You know, we definitely attended meetings, right, Shaw? Oh, I attended because you was a part of the e-board. That was, I'm not going to lie to y'all. If if she wasn't on, I wouldn't have went. I had things to do. Right. But I wanted to see change. You know, I wanted to be part of the process. I wanted the students coming in behind me to know, listen, just a heads up. You about to read some shit and it might not sit well with you because it is not well with my soul and uh, <laughs> you'll feel some type of way but it's okay we can get through this let's just focus on the law be on your a game when you're in class when you're you're speaking and, and talking about you know what is the issue um what's the rule you know you're gonna have to identify what is the analysis you're gonna have to identify rules you know and, and kind of sift through the court's reasoning. And then also our professor was big on dissent, especially when it comes to constitutional law, because if you look at cases, like I mentioned, Plessy versus Ferguson, that's you know a case where they're saying separate but equal. But then later on, they go on to rule in Brown versus Board of Education that separate but equal is not, it's not constitutional. So you look at the Plessy versus Ferguson, you look at the dissent, you look at where some justices on the Supreme Court did not agree, and then they have their own reasoning. And so those are the tools that you use to, quote unquote, dismantle precedent, as our mm-hmm. professor said. <laughs> Which brings me to keep in mind, you should have access to some outlines. If you are in law school and you pay for library services, mm-hmm. you most likely have access to LexisNexis or Westlaw, um, there's probably Barbary wet reps and Piper reps. Get those outlines, okay? Queen Use LexisNexis and Westlaw to learn how to brief a case, to get the case briefs. And do not forget the Quimby, okay? Do not, there is all kinds of stuff out there to help. Quimby got us through our first two years. Yes, Quimby is definitely for your core doctoring classes. Um, is definitely, but you also need to keep in mind that that's not, you know, the rubric by which your teacher um, is measuring. So exactly, you know, your teacher can pull a different rule from the case. Your teacher can state it in a different way. Your teacher can have a different focus, you know, because you can read the same case over in a different class. Yep. You can read a case in property, but then it's also a case, you know, in contracts, you know, it's just is what it is. Um, because so definitely you, can keep- a, you can have a contract to build a piece of land on a piece of property, right? So there, so the world can collide, but one professor may focus on one on this case for a certain thing, and another professor, and another professor on something else, on something else within the same exact case. So all as we learn, a game. Those- it could be a property issue. It could be a contracts issue. It could be a tort issue. Yeah, because you could be a criminal, could be criminal and torts. So it's a whole bunch of stuff. So just know that those tools are a supplement and it's a lot of hard work. I ain't gonna lie to you. 
it's hard work. It takes practice to know what the issue is, to know what the rule is, to be able to sift through these cases. And it was speaking old English because these cases, Marbury versus Madison, like I can't. That case has haunted many a law student forever. Anyway, <laughs> but you know, but I remember it's precedent. It's legal history, and it's needed for us to see not only how far we've come. But just to keep them out, what guided them at the time? Because a lot of these laws in a lot of these states are common law. So they haven't even been progressed. They haven't progressed. They aren't codified like our beautiful New York City estate laws are. Like they are common law. And let's be real. Everybody is not a reasonable person. Not anymore. What is a reasonable person? I don't know. <laughs> it's like saying normal. Well, what is normal? <laughs> like that's the that, that's That's the... The guideline, like what would a reasonable person do? And yeah. let's be real, after January 6th, I don't think there's any more reasonable people out there. <laughs> oh, shit. But uh, I wanted to say uh, something about our contracts professor. I remember um, Professor Edwards, she said something along the lines of like, she didn't believe in marriage. So she would say like marriage is all rainbows and unicorns until the unicorn rams you in the ass. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I said, she has pretty strong feelings about marriage. So yes. She felt but like she, what she said also made sense because she said a lot of, it was her and another professor that was like, you know, you come into law school with relationships. You usually won't leave law school with those relationships. That's very true. Um, you lose friends. I lost a couple of friends in the start <laughs> of law school and it was okay. Yeah, it's it all right. It's, you know, things just take priority. Like I said, we're taking so many classes. Like you have to take contracts. You have to take criminal procedure, civil procedure, property, family law, contracts, like LEDP or constitutional law. You know, there's so many classes you have to take and you've got to get all that stuff down packed. And it, you know, studying takes up a lot of your time. And, and so here's the relationship that could be hard for somebody for somebody to understand it really could it really can and then also too like don't forget you're you're seeing a lot of things like we went to law school at a very um i wouldn't say strange but at a very like polarizing time exactly like we were going to law school like when black lives matter was was founded we started law school in 2017 so black lives matter is founded you have this movement then you have a pandemic then you have george floyd and we're trying to go to school in the midst of all of this you know with this and we, we had to go through implicit bias training which is a crock of shit if you ask me um you know all these things going on and then you try to add a relationship on top of that like listen <laughs> Don't forget full-time work for a lot of us. Like a lot of us that was that we that were in the evening program were full-time workers. Like we literally came to work right after we came to school right after work. Yeah. Some of us, I typically ate dinner in class with with zero fucks to give. Because whole ramen. Where was I gonna get my dinner? I have class from 6:15 to 9:30. Like when when was I going to eat dinner? I got up from work at 5.30. I got 45 minutes, if I'm, luck- if I'm lucky, to get from Harlem to Long Island City. Where am I getting food? So we are going to eat in your class. 
And I remember going to the little grocery store next door and they used to cook like meals for us. They would have like gyros or like I missed them, ramen. I yeah, do I love that ramen. ramen. That ramen was busting, especially when it was cold outside or raining. Yeah. That ramen, they would make it fresh for you. They would do the noodles, whatever you, whatever toppings you want. What? I miss that place. I do. Okay, in the cold child, the ramen was busting. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, so like, you know, basically when we were in law school, we all kind of had relationships. Like I was in a relationship at one point. Um, Shaw, you I was in a relationship with a, in a relationship. And I think um, our other third musketeer, Jim, he was in a relationship too when he, uh, at some point in law school. And very true. it became too much. I remember we were sitting at a bar, like venting. Like talking about how we can't stand these motherfuckers and how they're just not supportive. And this is the thing, like you, it's a different dynamic. And I explained to my boss and I explained to a lot of other people, if I wouldn't have went to law school in my twenties, I would not have had the motivation to keep going. I wouldn't have even had the time management, the ambition, the, okay, I may be sleepy, but all right, I got two hours before I'm going to be knocked out. Let me get this reading in. 20-year-old me would have not done any of that. And I would have slacked and macked and not have passed. So it's better that I've gone now because I have the motivation. I'm smarter. Mm-hmm. The Lord, You know, it's just, it's better that I did it now that I'm that I'm older than when I was younger. I'm, I'm you able to appreciate it more. consequences behind it. Exactly. You know the consequences behind dilly-dallying. And you know that time is money. Time that you're not spending studying, you're not performing well in class. And you took out the loans. Or, or you're paying cash money or whatever the case may be. And that's your money. And so it's a different level of urgency, I think. Yes. You know what I mean? And Especially when you balance in work, school, and family. Mm-hmm. Because we, most of us still had to work because we had to take care of other people besides ourselves. Yeah. And let me tell you, like, you have to say no to people. And you have to say no to events. I can't go to every baby shower that my cousin has because he's having another kid. You know what I mean? Like, don't judge me, but I'm the type of person. Don't judge me. I'm the type of person. I go to your first baby shower. And as a mother of three children, the reason why I do that is because by the time you have the second one, you should have held on to some hand me down, somebody around me, something. I am showering your first baby. After that, you're on your own because you chose to do it again. Exactly. Exactly. Because traditionally, you're supposed to just have one, but I digress. And so that's what I did. I went to the first baby shower. You know, if it's a kid's first birthday, I'll go. But like, if you're turning two, three, four, like, it's not a significant birthday. I'll see you at your fifth birthday. You feel me? Like, I... That's why I throw parties for my kids like that. One, five, ten, sixteen for the girl, fifteen for the boys. And then again, after that, we'll figure it out. But see, my kids don't care for parties like that. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly like, let's just go out to eat and you can buy me a game. Yeah, like we'll do something as a family. You're still going to get cake and we're going to have a nice dinner and everything. But we, it's not going to be this whole extravagant thing. And I'm sorry, I, you just have to say no. And thank goodness we got a pandemic. So you can say no to that too. I was just so. saying, listen, I drink a lot less because this pandemic. I saved a lot more money because this pandemic. Yeah, now, don't get it twisted. We up here talk about you got to say no to a lot of events, but just social life does not go into the ground because I can speak for myself and most of my classmates. You make lifelong friends. Then you may lose friends that weren't in law school, but then you gain people that you can't see 
your life without moving forward. Yeah, that's definitely true. Remember, I told you. Because you was like, oh, I'm a fair weather friend. I was like, bitch, you're going to be my friend. I was like, I'm a friend of convenience. Oh, that's what you said. <laughs> I'm a friend of convenience. I knew who I was. And I'm still, too, in the essence of friend of convenience. It's just, I'm around more I'm people. Helping. I, feel like I know what I'm needed. I know what I'm loved and appreciated and wanted. But I wouldn't diminish it to a friend of convenience because that's what real adults do. Like when you're a real adult, you have shit going on. You're married, you have kids, or you're single, or you're dating. You need to have a dating life, whatever it is. You're working because shit costs money. You're working, you're in school, whatever the case may be. So it's not like, you know, every day you can be up under a person or talking to a person because you got shit to do too. But, you know, and that's what also makes the conversations that much better. Cause like when I do link up with you, we got some shit to talk about. You feel me? Yeah. Yeah. Let me fill you in on all that has been going on in my life. And speaking of child, we are about to enter this next journey of uh, bar prep. With Which as I was telling my mentor, when we had our little mentor lunch yesterday. Okay. I like CUNY for the simple fact. I can't say that any other law school literally gives you bar prep as your last semester like they pay for the technically we pay for it in our tuition but we have access to adapt the bar so that's even after we finish the class and can prep for bar right right they're teaching us the areas that they know are the most common areas to be tested it's reminding us of everything we learned over the last three years um back to iraq you know because we haven't used iraq in the last year or so because we write in real legal documents we out here doing real lawyery things and these intern and externships. But it's definitely bringing it back. And I'm thankful for CUNY for that because, again, it's a humbling experience. But I know that I can see, I see the progress of me from when we first started this semester with the MBEs and the essays, the growth. So we're getting a head start on bar prep. Most people so can't talk about prep that. they graduate. Let's talk about that. Let's explain it to the people, like what that is and what the bar exam, like, and how many tests that like consist of. Well, so it, it depends on where you take in the bar. Well, where you plan well, to practice. In New York. Yeah. Well, we can talk about the New York experience. So New York got extra parts that other states don't have. Right. So we have three tests overall in order to be a sworn in and admitted attorney. So you have the New York law exam um and then you have the bar exam and that's a two-day exam and that consists of like three uh you know tests so and, the mpt so right. that's the most that's the multi-state professional test right um like real world work like you're it's like a case file and you write an essay and the mpe then, is the multi-state ex- essay exam so let's see essay. you write it's right? an essay I think it's short essays, right? Yes, right. It's short essays. Right. And I think, I don't know, is there like five of them or something like that? I think it's two. There's two MPTs. I think it's two MPTs and two essays. No, three essays. Okay. I know it's multiple. I knew that. Like, I know the MPT. It's three of them. Essay, and then, like, the MEE is like short essays. And then there's mm-hmm. the MBE, which is uh, multiple choice. Yeah. That's the multiple, that's the multi-state bar exam, which lucky for us means that multiple states take that exam, which also kind of goes into the UBE. So that's the universal bar exam. So basically 
Right. And that everything we just listed is called the UBE. The mm-hmm. MBT, the MEE, the MBE, those three exams make up what we call unofficially the bar exam, but it is the uniform bar exam. And if you score a certain level, you can pass in multiple states. Yep. Now, other states may have extra steps for you to take. Like I said, you know, Shah mentioned in New York, there's a New York law exam. So in addition to passing the MBE, you need to also... Um, pass there's a special test for that state there's also the oh multi-state responsibility professional responsibility yes lord with these acronyms y'all these acronyms it's it's alphabet soup the mpre and that's the uh multi-state professional responsibility exam so (laughs) there's that and then there's character and fitness and then um Finally, after you pass and pass character and fitness, you will be sworn in and admitted, and admitted. as an attorney. <laughs> but there's more. You have to maintain your CLEs. Yeah. Pay your bar admission fees. Yeah. You got to remain ethical. Yeah. So you still and you got to still practice law in some aspect. Yes. But you know what? We can do it. We went through four years of law school. We we've gotten this far. And now it's just another test, you know, just like any other, well, I wouldn't say it's like any other midterm or final, but I would say it's like sitting for. It's like for the LSAT again, for the LSAT again with some extra emphasis on passing. Um, It's like the SAT for high schoolers, although you guys don't think you need the school, the test, don't, don't get it twisted. There's a large majority of law students former I mean law professors lawyers who don't think we need the bar exam or who fucking couldn't take that shit again and pass it for their life I would note that the current put po- it again they could not I think it. the current president of the ABA one of these national bar associations in fact did not take the bar exam so listen but we got this I have faith in us I've been you know taking my practice MBEs, you know, so I'm thankful for this class uh, of core doctrine. Like you said, it's just a refresher course of everything that we've learned the past four years, because it's also crazy how you realize you didn't learn a a lot of shit. Because remember, we are also evening students. So I feel like the full-time students had their course was much more in depth. I find that sometimes there's rules I've never heard of. And then Mm -hmm. also, finding out that, hey, um, you may have to make up a rule like on the fly, like in the exam. But I mean, I feel like everything that we've done thus far has prepared us for that. It's true. We'll be okay, you know, at the end of the day. Also, there are scholarships that you can apply for because these bar prep courses do run. Are not cheap. Yes, they, they are more than rent. One of them is $2,339. And I believe that's Piper or Barbary. I don't know, but these things are like $2,000 and better. Okay. Exactly. And I, this is, I was going to say $1,500 to $2,000 average price, but I'm hearing different numbers from Shah. So definitely apply for scholarships um, to help uh, cover the cost of the bar prep courses. Also, you know, we are. Um, part-time students and we do work full-time jobs so you'll have to be taking time off to prepare for that you know it's a whole process 
um, law school. You're going to come out of it on the other side, a better person, a stronger person, a fucking different person. But just know it's, it's not something that's, it's not something that's unattainable. Like you can do it. It doesn't matter your background. Like, honestly, at this point, the field of law is, is progressing to the point that even the New York State Bar Association agrees that a juvenile record shouldn't be something that comes up in the character of fitness. Um, you may be receiving mental health treatment. That's something that shouldn't come up in the character of fitness. More so, they just want to make sure that you could be a competent and ethical lawyer. Um, so don't let your history or maybe you grew up in a situation that you don't think is appealing or something that seems like could be a lawyer. Don't let your past kind of guide you. Just give it a go. Trust me, they'll work it out. Yeah, it's going to be okay. But um, I'm glad to have had this experience. I'm glad to have met you along that journey. I'm hey. glad to have met my boo, Jim. Um, <laughs> you know, because he we met in law school and... You know, it worked because, like I said, all your free time is spent studying. You feel guilty. you feel guilty when you're not studying, and you just fucking laying down, uh, taking a nap or some shit, eating, sleeping or some shit. You feel so guilty. So it's good to have somebody that understands um, what it takes. It's definitely it's a growing experience. I know that. Like in my case, I was with somebody for almost 14 years and it was just, law school just, it changes you as a person. So I can see why those professors were like, you know, you're not going to be in the same relationships. You're going to lose friends. You know, your family's not going to understand. And like my family has been, they understood this is a change. Everybody had to make a sacrifice when it came to law school. And I think it's that make sure you have a good support system. Yeah. Whether you got to switch whether your family whether it's your roommates, just make sure you got a, a good support system that they understand. You may be studying for 12 hours straight. They could throw you a, a bowl of ramen because they know you haven't eaten because you've been stuck in property. Mm-hmm. The vortex of property <laughs> since last night. <laughs> right. And so that's the thing too. Like people really have to understand. And I think that sometimes, you know, people don't really understand what's being asked of you like this is not undergrad this is not a master's degree um this is is none of those things you know this is law school and it's hard as fuck but it can be done medical school and residency that's what I think of that's worse than fucking law school (laughs) I mean, like cutting people open and like you could kill this person. I think that's the only thing that I think is worse. I just especially want people of color to know that you can do this. Like there is nothing stopping you. Yes, there's going to be uncomfortable situations. Trust me, the non-Black people are going to experience uncomfortable situations. We're changing as a country. And I think we need to have younger people. We need to have people with diverse mindsets, not just younger people, because I'm about to be 40 years old in about two years anyway. So not younger people, people who've experienced life, people who have a diverse upbringing. It's not, it's not too late to become a lawyer because guess what? From what I see, a lot of lawyers, a lot of politicians are lawyers and somehow they forget that when they become politicians. And when you become a lawyer, we're supposed to be ethical and all that, but 
I mean, we need to have more people understand the laws that guide this country because I, I don't think a lot of us really truly understand that. Like I learned a lot thanks to LEDP. So when I see people on Facebook yelling about free speech, I have to be like, eh, eh. Facebook is not the government. That's what the free speech pertains to. The government can't stop your free speech. However, if you come too close to my face and you pop off, I got every right to pop you. That's the difference. I told you, that, like, it doesn't work like that. You know, you can't pop off into a character in fitness. <laughs> but but uh, the old sneak was the popped off. But still, <laughs> just so you know, go to law school so you can understand the basis of the laws that make this country. You can understand why the things happen the way they happen. That woke up so much. And now we understand why some people can't buy homes in some places because there's laws preventing that. But let me ask you a question too. I want to um, just talk about like your experience in like the extracurricular activities that you were um, somehow managed to do while working full-time, while being a mother, while being a law student. You also managed to... um, be on the the Elsa board, which is the evening. Yeah, I did that. I did that last year, and then I also did moot courts. So I was on moot court, uh, so we had planned to do moot court together, and it just didn't work out. But I still, I stuck it out. I stuck it out. I did moot court, and as I was saying, so one of the things that, um, like when you said you feel like we didn't learn so much, but then you realize you learned a lot. Mm-hmm. I, when I first came to law school, I thought I was going to be at a disadvantage. Because unlike everyone else, I don't have, I don't work in a law firm. I don't have any prior legal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly, in the, outside of, once I graduate law school, I have job prospects in the legal field, but currently there are none. Mm-hmm. I felt I would have been at a disadvantage because I had no yeah. legal experience and no actual ability to get the hands-on legal experience because I work at, in a nonprofit. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do the moot court. I did the moot court one because I don't feel comfortable doing the litigation aspect of it, the actual trial part of it and speaking. I can draft the brief. I could write my ass off. I'm a transactional lawyer. I see that now three and a half years later. I'm a right. transactional lawyer. But I thought, I think moot court did good for me because not only did I learn how to properly write a brief that can be submitted to the Supreme Court, I learned that I could do litigation. It just requires me to prepare. And so when you see those lawyers make those long speeches on the TV shows, it's because typically they prepare their opening statement. They prepare those statements and they learn the facts of their case. They learn the applicable law. They memorize it. So you think you memorizing law and fact and all this for this bar exam. This is what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Yeah. And also don't think it's like on TV. Like you can just scream objections, like objection on what grounds, (laughs) like on what grounds. Is it prejudicial? to your client like you know what what are the grounds you know is it hearsay like you need to you can't just say objection because you don't like what you heard you need to know the law and Mm -hmm. you need to know the um the civil procedure or or actually the rules of evidence i'm sorry you need to know the rules of evidence inside and out to the point that you can say you can't do this because so you can't just say oh no objection i don't like it why why don't you so there's a lot that goes into it but i think it was having those experiences kind of helped and elsa was just uh elsa helped me realize that it helped me understand that lawyers still have a problem kind of managing (laughs) the complex personalities of lawyers and you try girl wait till you get the clients their complex personalities or the parties that you're dealing with because like you said you'll be doing transactional law so just the parties 
that you'll have to deal with. And um, my extracurricular activity was BOLSA. I was on, like I said, the the Black Law Student Association. I did that. That was um, fun. Uh, I had a great time. I sat. I was on the board with amazing members um, during my time. And one of the things that I thought was really important to me was like starting um, a field trip. You know, having young students of color from the inner city come to the law school. Um, and just have a day where they can, you know, eat pizza, we'll have a presentation for them, we talk to them about what it takes to get into law school, we give them some facts about like, you know, the first black female lawyer, we give them, you talk about like, you know, Supreme Court Justice, um, you know, Sotomayor, you know, how she's from the Bronx, like, you know, she's Latina, it's important for, you know, black and brown kids from the inner city to see that. So that was like a really great opportunity Mm -hmm. Um, you know, for them. And it's something that actually I started and it actually continues on. I'd started the first one, like my 2L year and it has continued on, obviously not, you know, during the pandemic. Which actually put a big bump on things with Elsa because we were trying to get the gist of things done and boom. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the pandemic kind of switched things up. And I think it's, if you have the opportunity, though, in your law school to participate in extracurricular activities, maybe there's a group of interest, you should do it because you still build lifelong relationships. Um, it teaches you experience in managing different personalities. Um, it's good leadership skills. Like you, you manage and you're speaking for, it's definitely worth something to give you a different range of experience. Right. And it's good for your personal development and professional development. Yeah. So it was definitely a great experience and stuff. And in Sade's case, it's something of legacy. You never know what you may create at your law school is something that will continue on after you leave. Yeah, that was that was so fun. I, I had a wonderful time. I was able to do it for two years in a row. And actually, it did happen um, the 2019-2020 semester because they did it in the fall. So they didn't do it. I usually do it in the spring they did it in the fall so it was great that they were able to have a field trip right Mm -hmm. that semester before the pandemic hit in the spring so the kids at least got to go for the 2019 let's see there's there's always something for you to bring to your law school so don't think you're just sitting there going to learn some law like and just engage invest yourself in it don't just go in and learn some things like I did that for a large majority of my degrees at least I attempted to the first few semesters I'll jump in learn what I gotta learn jump out but then you do build relations with people you see every day and let's be real you're gonna see these people more than you see your family yeah and then also too you're gonna see them in the field Um, yep especially in New York yeah especially at cutie (laughs) <laughs> interesting to see what happens um you know and what kind of law I practice uh we shall see because what I thought I was going to do public defense a lot of the public defenders offices aren't hiring a lot of nonprofits and city and state funded um agencies you know so that's my passion that's what I want to do that's what I've been trying to do but you know, we'll see. It's twenty twenty one. Lawyer, honey, I'm gonna be a lawyer, honey. But I just don't listen. It is twenty twenty one, and if the one thing I have noticed is that Black women, in particular, are extremely a genius. And if there is no path, 
you make a pass. That's right. I then told one of these kids, they gonna have to be a lawyer because who I'm gonna sell my law firm to, I can only pass it down to another lawyer. I actually am thinking about the future now. Like I wanna be a judge. Like people keep trying to push me into politics, but I think eventually a judge is what I want. And New Jersey just appointed its first African-American woman to the Supreme, to the state Supreme Court. So I'm actually quite pleased and happy with New Jersey. And so that was really inspirational to see within the last two weeks. So I'm like, yeah, that's the path. Mm -hmm. So I think I would want to be a judge and maybe we can have more black judges, you know, Mm -hmm. but we need more black lawyers first. So come on, y'all, go to law school. (laughs) Exactly. Go to law school. (laughs) Well, Shaw, it was so good checking in with you and just talking about this experience. It's been real. And hopefully we've inspired some people to look into going into law school. But um, I love you and happy, oh, thank you, happy birthday. Thank you, boo. And it's a wrap, folks. That was a lovely, lovely episode of Bar Study Podcast where we discuss love, law, libations. You can catch us on Instagram at Bar Study Podcast. And our email is barstudypodcast at gmail.com. And you can follow me at theratchetprofessional.com. And remember, folks, we do not give out legal advice. Good night.